Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This podcast inspires physiotherapists and other health professionals to continue learning and growing in their practice and career. We explore professional issues with a fresh lens and delve into topics that help to expand our capacity for growth. This is episode number 32, and I'm Andrew. And I'm Maxie. And today on the show, we are piggybacking on our last session, speaking with Jeff Bostick, Murray Kowalczyk, and Janet Hawley about diving into the more practical application of pain science education um, in clinical practice. And so today we're going to be talking uh, about an actual case study. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great conversation and just a lot of great gems that uh, they share. So let's just dive right in. Let's go. Well, let's, let's uh, shift gears a little bit here. I want to uh, put this into a really practical scenario. So let's say that we had, uh, you know, a 39-year-old female with low back pain. There's no red flag. She had some, maybe some ridiculous symptoms, but nothing significant. She's been having pain for about, uh, you know, three months or so, but, and she's finding that function's limited. She's got pain with basically, you know, all movements, flexion, extension movements, sitting's aggravated. She's had some fear avoidance behaviors. She was previously active, but now has, you know, really toned that down. She works still, but she's finding it a challenge. And I'm interested to know how you would approach sort of a treatment plan with a patient like this. If we sort of just really now take this into the concrete here for a moment. And I'd love to, to just have a little bit of a discussion around how you, guys would, how you guys would approach that. My treatment plan would start by doing a really good assessment so that I can stand on concrete ground of having my discussion that I looked to see if there was any tissue damage and I didn't find it. So that's my first starting point is you don't throw out your ortho if you're doing pain management. Um, you're gonna, and sometimes patients aren't centrally sensitized when you thought they were and you're like, holy crap, look at this. That's not right. <laughs> so that's your starting point. <laughs> Um, and now I'll shut up and let somebody else go next, and then I'll jump back in once they've finished talking. <laughs> yeah, and very really similar message, kind of what you're saying is that well, a lot of ultimately our, our beliefs affect our behavior, and so a lot of people come in feeling that they're broken, feeling something's really wrong, and so I often exactly see the assessment. Its intent is to prove to them that they're okay, prove to them there's nothing serious that they don't need to be worried about the structural integrity of themselves. And then kind of emphasize their strengths, their strengths and what they are doing right, what is going good, and then kind of build upon that going forward. And then after I'm following where Murray is, because that's what I'm doing too, is looking for strengths and, and really reassuring that I haven't found anything. And isn't this fantastic? There's nothing broken. And this sounds ridiculous, but this is actually how I talk. Hey, this is great. I didn't find anything major going on. I didn't find anything sinister. I can't find any tissue that's damaged. And I don't sound say it in a make fun of the voice. Like I have my own style of doing it. But I am using a certain amount of up energy that mm -hmm. this is great. I didn't find anything. There's nothing really bad going on. This is fabulous. We can deal with this. Um, this is good news for you. And then I start talk. The next question will I, I'll ask them is what they thought was going on. What do they think? Um, might as well get these beliefs out in the table right from the get-go because that's going to tell me where I'm going with my education. No, I, I think that's a really interesting point just in terms of asking the patient what they think is going on, right? I, I think a lot of times we just sort of like, okay, here's what's going on. Here's the treatment plan. Let's go, right? And I think that uh, I think having that, that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of 
put the volley back in their court around what they think is going on. I think is a really interesting way. I like that in terms of uh, being able to explore what their beliefs are. And, and so what, where do you take that then, Janet? Well, okay. First, I'm going to put the caveat is sometimes that backfires on me and I get this really <laughs> angry answer. Well, you're the professional. You're supposed to know that it's a, oh, crap moment. Backpedal, backpedal. <laughs> Doesn't happen that often, though. Some of them feel relieved that they get to talk. And, and and say what they think is going on. So let's say somebody, you know, okay, I work in a rehab center and my patients are quite chronic. So it's not this lady. Um, this lady's not liable to say this, but some of my patients say things like, I'm really afraid I'm going to be in a wheelchair for, in five years time. Mm-hmm. So then we can talk about what it takes to be in a wheelchair and what I didn't find in their assessment that's going to lead them there. Um, and, and really start ex- you know, getting rid of some of these beliefs that aren't based on concrete facts. Um, And then starting to go into why I know their pain is different. Why why do I know that I'm dealing with something else and and getting into the neurophysiology of pain? But once again, not all in one day. Um, Just telling them that this is great, that nothing's going sinister is going on. There's nothing big. There's no tissue damage. Um, the first day and giving them, I usually give them a relaxation exercise the first day and say the next time when you come back, we're going to talk about this more, write down any con- concerns or questions you have between this appointment to the next. Cause we're going to talk about those too. When you come back, um, we're going to get into this. Um, and then moving into explain pain. Well, I was just going to, um, reinforce um a few things like both first of all like what you and murray both alluded to was like making sure you're credible in in helping in reassuring people so that comes from a good examination and um even though it is risky yes some people say just want you to have all the answers but i do think it's important that um patients feel like they have um that you that you believe they have a valuable contribution into the understanding of their situation, and then what I was going to say to build on all of that is, um, for this particular woman, there in, in this case that you're talking about, Andrew, there's going to be a lot of her treatment that is the usual physio physical stuff, um, but it's important that your your behaviors line up with your explanation. So you can't be talking about saying that everything's fine and then talk about instability or um the set joints that are locked (laughs) or saying like oh um you know um we're doing this exercise to help align your pelvis like those messages are contrary to what you're trying to do with reassuring the person that their body is strong and this is a um you know, this is a problem that they can overcome with movement and exercise and um, understanding their own pain in as much detail as they can. Can I tag team on you? Because sure. um, this woman may have already seen a physio. So. Hey, I just wanted to have a quick pause to introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, Soul. They're off the shelf moldable insoles. And it's the brand of insoles that I recommend to my patients and have for years. The reason I recommend them is that they're heat moldable by the patient. They've got a great arch support and they come with options to help with different foot issues. 
It's really easy for customers to order, and when you refer them to Soul, they get free shipping and 10% off. Make sure to check them out at yoursoul.com forward slash health dash professionals. That's Y-O-U-R-S-O-L-E dot com forward slash health dash professionals. All right, back to the show. Sometimes we can't go the traditional exercise approach. So you really have to explore that whole novel movement piece with somebody like this um, so that you're not just giving them what in their mind already didn't work. So looking at some, some movements that maybe wouldn't, that they wouldn't have done before. Is that what you're saying? So basically you're, you're not wanting to reinforce that this is a, this is a failed approach. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So building on that, your body is strong, nothing is broken. Um, the human body is very adaptable. Um, and so, okay, you tried this last time that didn't work for you, but that's not to say there aren't other things we can explore. Um, and people sometimes get caught in, uh, let's say for this lady. So she has to move into flexion and extension and all her exercises out of the gate. Who says, you know, maybe she feels confident moving in one direction. So let's get her moving in that one direction. Hey, hey, look at this. I could do this. And then start adding the other direction or get her dancing in the gym someday and then point out that she moved in the other direction. And hey, look, nothing happened. <laughs> and I, I sound facetious, but these are the things I do all the time. If, if somebody's really fearful of moving, sometimes I'll step right out of the box, and which is why people have accused me of being a wannabe OT because sometimes mm -hmm. I don't do traditional physio exercises with people who are very fearful. Sometimes I will step them right out of their box into an activity versus a physio exercise because nothing's broken. Why can't they? And long as you grade it low enough to where they're actually at that they can succeed and explain to them they can't go big, that they're just starting to explore this movement. And we definitely, we have a memory. And so we always attach our previous experiences to what we've done. So say they've gone through physio before and... Every time I bend forward to tie my shoes, every time I do this, my pain comes. So even before they do those things, their pain's already primed. It's already ready to get set off and feeling it. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, doing something completely different that they don't know how they'll respond, they don't know what will happen, is sometimes it's, it's it, yeah, it's neat for them to experience it. It's like, oh, this is okay. That's neat. And then they're yeah. less guarded, then they're more willing to get into the, the, the tougher ones down the road. So, so how do you deal those situations? Because I mean, I, I find that comes up, uh, you know, fairly regularly with with this, uh, you know, patient population where you know you get where you get the flare up, where you get you know, the nervous system like they do an activity, and uh, it you know just things sort of go off the rails a bit. Um, how do you approach that? I call them speed bumps, not flare ups. Um, and I talk about them when you're driving down the street and you didn't see that speed bump and you hit it really hard. Um, Sometimes, you know, the car is a little jarred from it, but that doesn't mean your car is broken. Um, and I talk to them about that this is a great opportunity to learn from it because we're on a journey together of increasing participation and there's going to be other speed bumps in the future. So let's explore this one and see what we can do different next time. Sometimes I'll even get them like a flare-up sheet itself or a speed bump sheet so that, okay, well, these are the strategies that I know work for me. So find often when they're in that state, they're kind of in a panic state. They just want to survive, just get through the day itself, where if they already have it laid out, almost like an emergency action plan, 
They just follow instructions. They know what it'll do to get them through it. For my CRPS patients, I make them create a first aid kit because they can't think, period, when they flare big. They just can't. And they put everything in. They actually make a box that says first aid kit. And everything that they need to do for themselves is either written or the stuff is in there. Um, Mm. And I see no reason why we couldn't do that with other groups, but it doesn't necessarily need to say the word first aid. Um, It it could say something else. Um, But if you take the busy mom with three kids at home who's trying to work their job, who has persistent low back pain, comes home exhausted, their kids are screaming, she has to help them with homework, um, get supper, and she's in a flare, is she really going to be able to sink her way out of this? Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) So you might actually have to make sure it's spelled out. Step one, breathe. (laughs) And I like when they do get through it as well to reflect back and show like, hey, you you got through it. You did the right things. Let's empower you that you you can control this. You can move forward with it. Some people don't even realize they've done it. Yeah. And sometimes they come in, but it took me four days. And I'm like, but it, but you got it down. Like, yeah. you did this. I didn't do anything. When you mm-hmm. came to see me, you couldn't make any change over this. Mm-hmm. It, it just kept ramping up. So this tells me that you know how to use your tools. You just need to become more expert at it. Yeah, I know. I like that. I think that uh, I think that's a great a great concept. And I think that it's true. Sometimes when you you know when you are in that pain state, you can't, you can't think clearly about what's going on. Right. It's, it's like, you're just, you're, as you said, like you're in survival mode. And I think, uh, I like that idea of like, let's, let's plan ahead. Let's anticipate that this is going to happen. It's not a matter of if it's just when there are going to be speed bumps on this road, but having some strategies in place to actually be able to, to navigate that when they do come. Cause that's true. Like, I think, yeah, having that reinforcement of, of yes, you didn't, you know, get through it, I think can really empower a patient to know that they're in control and it's not all outside of them. Uh, I always tell patients that their the, their day of discharge is when they fire me because they mm-hmm. don't need me. I like that. <laughs> you got a lot of good. Uh, you got a lot of good things. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think you know. So I mean, I guess the last question we have around this case is: is what would you see as some uh, key milestones that you would want to move towards early on in in a treatment plan with with this uh, fictional patient? <laughs> Um, we didn't get that much <laughs> about her. Well, that's true. <laughs> You're good at making it up though, Janet. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I like to address sleep, restoration of sleep if it's disturbed. To me, that's a big milestone. That's a big win if you can improve sleep early on. Um, and I usually like to get them engaging in a value activity for them early. So a value activity is not cleaning the house for most women. Um, They'll tell you they can't do it and they have trouble doing it. If you ask their goals, it's amazing how often that comes out. And I'm just like, wow, I hate cleaning the house. Why would I make that my goal? (laughs) But it comes out time and time again. Um, But really getting something that makes them happy, that gives them joy early on, that they can start to re-engage in early. And that's one of my big milestones right out of the gate is where do I think I can get an easy win? Well, and I think you're speaking to also like when you said joy, you know, we know that there's neurophysiological responses to emotion, right? And so 
if they're like you said, if you, if their goal is to return to something they don't want to do, but they know they have to do. I mean, I suppose there's some satisfaction in that later. However, you know, if, if, if they can be experiencing joy, if they can be smiling, if they can be, you know, um, fully engaged in something, all of that, all of them as a, all of that person as a person, then yeah, I mean, I think, I think just, you know, from a pain neuroscience perspective that has got to, you know, impact pain levels, um, or their, their processing of pain. So this particular lady might be being able to go out with a girlfriend for coffee. So it's a short, short social event that will re-engage her with her network that she can, sitting is a problem, so she can control how long she stays there. You can go for coffee for three hours with a girlfriend or you can go for coffee for 30 minutes and you can get up and move around a coffee shop easily. So um, it's... It's um, an easy one. You can walk to it or you cannot, but but really getting them to plan something that's important. So I'm feeling socially isolated. If that came out, then that may be what I would go for. But maybe she doesn't like hanging out with friends. Maybe she's more of an introvert um, and she likes reading books or she likes painting. Once again, it's the easy win, right? What's going to give her joy? I was just finding interesting about sometimes... Patients in particular, but physios as well too, that often we sometimes have a hard time connecting the dots between the exercise we give and how that can actually affect their life itself. And so, so say, yeah, they're doing exercise, they can flex, 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 da, da, da. But yeah, they're still avoiding the actual activity that they need to flex. So they're not still tying their shoes, whatever it is of that sort. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, yeah, as Jen's kind of saying, is making that their life activities, that's kind of your treatment itself. Um, incorporating that into the program you're establishing i i often work backwards i'm going for the life activity first to get some novel movements some social interaction some joy back into their life and then i refine the impairments that i'm seeing are problematic rather than the opposite yeah yeah so if i know they have strength deficits that are legitimately well below norm because their downtime was like 20 hours okay you know there there's some health prevention stuff that I should be considering for the future here. Um, But the reality, me working on getting their quads and their glutes of four plus right now, as Murray said, isn't going to get them participating and isn't necessarily going to change that output of pain. But getting them with that girlfriend that makes them giggle for 20 minutes or 30 minutes might change a lot of pain. (laughs) Um. So, and yeah, I- thinking top-down versus bottom-up strategies of treatment. And, yeah, I, you know, I'm still a physio. I'm still going to, if something glaringly is obviously, you know, not, as I say, industry standard, but I never point it out to the patient when I do that assessment. Oh, look at this. This really, this really stinks. That's information for me. They don't need to know that. Too much information is a bad, bad thing. We do that because I think we are not feeling confident in ourselves, so we spew information. Um, but they don't need to know things that aren't industry standard. You can work that stuff in without 
them knowing that their quads are a grade three or their glutes are not existent. Um, and that impacts their ability to climb the stairs. And that's why they can only do a flight. They don't need to know why climbing a flight of stairs is difficult. Always a flag for me when you see a patient that comes in and says, oh yeah, my, my C3-4 is really stiff as they point to their mid back. And it's one where they, they get these terms that we say, but they don't necessarily know what it means. And so then it can often okay. get thrown out of context and then just reinforce that fear and no one can fix what's this thing that is wrong. Yeah, I've got an upslip. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, in order for us to critically think and when we do our assessment and, you know, develop our hypotheses, certainly we have to consider impairments. But I, I don't think we necessarily need to share them with our patients any more than GPs and docs should be sharing the details of their x-rays. It's just as, it's just as harmful. It, it creates just as much encoding of tissue problem to these patients when none necessarily exists. And even if it does exist in the acute stage, it's going to heal unless they have some medical condition that impacts healing. It's going to heal. So why encode that? Exactly. Yeah. You're just reinforcing messaging that's incongruent with what we're trying to do from a pain science education standpoint. Well, I would like to say incongruent from a physio viewpoint, because we're all supposed to be about getting patients back to life and, and participating. So it's incongruent with what we do overall. Yeah, I just I think I would reinforce what both Murray and Janet had said. And I, I sometimes joke in class with the students that for complex pain, um, you know, take every orthopedic instinct you have and just do it backwards just like what Janet was saying that, you know, start with participation and not, and don't start with impairment. And it's not to say the impairments aren't relevant, but, um, you know, joy is a good word. Trying to bring joy into people's life, I think is a good way to describe what physios do, um, you know, in the context of movement. So Jeff, I'm becoming verklempt with that <laughs> statement. Joy is what physios, bringing joy is what physios do. And so you want to know what, everyone, I think on that note, um, I know that you've left me inspired. Mm. Uh, just a great conversation. Um, thank you, all of you, so much for spending this last hour or so with us, with Andrew and I. And um, I am I know that, that our listeners are are. Um, going away, um, hopefully with some gems. Yeah, I know they're going away with gems and maybe something to try in the clinic, but definitely inspired uh, to maybe work a little bit differently um, with their patients um, who have persistent pain, but also maybe the patients who, who have that are in that acute situation mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you thank very you much. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Thanks. Thanks guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's uh, great having you on the show today. Uh, now, if you've been enjoying the new show, I'd love for you to leave a review on uh, iTunes as this just helps uh, more people find out about the podcast and we'd love to, to get your feedback. And if you want to check out the show notes uh, from the podcast, just go to ignitephysio.ca forward slash podcasts. And if there's any topics that you want us to cover, just uh, shoot us an email at hello at ignitephysio.ca and we'll make sure to get back in touch with you and, and see what we can do there. So anyways, thanks for joining us on the show today. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.